0: Section 27 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 5 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Bianca Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5, by Henry Gray Development of Urinary and Generative Organs, Part 2 testis. The testis is developed in much the same way as the ovary. Like the ovary, in its earliest stages it consists of a central mass of epithelium covered by a surface epithelium. In the central mass a series of cords appear, and the periphery of the mass is converted into the tunica albuginea, thus excluding the surface epithelium from any part in the formation of the tissue of the testis. The cords of the central mass run together toward the future hylas, and form a network which ultimately becomes the reti testis. From the cords, the seminiferous tubules are developed, and between them connective tissue septa extends. The seminiferous tubules become connected with outgrowth from the wolfian body, which, as before mentioned, form the efferent ducts of the testis. Descent of the testes The testes, at an early period of fetal life, are placed at the back part of the abdominal cavity, behind the peritoneum, and each is attached by a peritoneal fold, the mesorchium, to the mesonephros. From the front of the mesonephros, a fold of peritoneum, termed the inguinal fold, goes forward to meet and fuse with a peritoneal fold, the inguinal crest, which grows backward from the anterolateral abdominal wall. The testis thus acquires an indirect connection with the anterior abdominal wall, and at the same time a portion of the peritoneal cavity lateral to these fused folds is marked off as the future Saccus vaginalis. In the inguinal crest, a peculiar structure, the gubernaculum testis, makes its appearance. This is at first a slender band, extending from that part of the skin of the groin, which afterward forms the scrotum, through the inguinal canal, to the body and epididymis of the testis. As development advances, the peritoneum enclosing the gubernaculum forms two folds, one above the testis and the other below it. The one above the testis is the plica vascularis, and contains ultimately the internal spermatic vessels. The one below... The plica gubernatrix contains the lower part of the gubernaculum, which has now grown into a thick cord. It ends below, at the abdominal inguinal ring, in a tube of peritoneum, the sacus vaginalis, which protrudes itself down the inguinal canal. By the fifth month, the lower part of the gubernaculum has become a thick cord, while the upper part has disappeared. The lower part now consists of a central core of unstriped muscle fibre and outside this of a firm layer of striped elements connected behind the peritoneum with the abdominal wall as the scrotum develops the main portion of the lower end of the gubernaculum is carried with the skin to which it is attached to the bottom of this pouch other bands are carried to the medial side of the thigh and to the perineum the tube of peritoneum constituting the sacus vaginalis projects itself downward into the inguinal canal, and emerges at the cutaneous inguinal ring, pushing before it a part of the obliquus internus and the aponeurosis of the obliquus externus, which form, respectively, the cremaster muscle and the intercrual fascia. It forms a gradually elongating pouch, which eventually reaches the bottom of the scrotum, and behind this pouch, the testis is drawn by the growth of the body of the foetus, for the gubernaculum does not grow commensurately with the growth of other parts, and therefore the testis, being attached by the gubernaculum to the bottom of the scrotum, is prevented from rising as the body grows, and is drawn first into the inguinal canal, and eventually into the scrotum. It seems certain also that the gubernacular cord becomes shortened as development proceeds, and this assists in causing the testis to reach the bottom of the scrotum. By the end of the 8th month, the testis has reached the scrotum, preceded by the sacus vaginalis, which communicates by its upper extremity with the peritoneal cavity. Just before birth, the upper part of the sacus vaginalis usually becomes closed, and this obliteration extends gradually downward to within a short distance of the testis. The process of peritoneum surrounding the testis is now entirely cut off from the general peritoneal cavity and constitutes the tunica vaginalis. Descent of the Ovaries In the female there is also a gubernaculum, which affects a considerable change in the position of the ovary, though not so extensive a change as in that of the testis. The gubernaculum in the female lies in contact with the fundus of the uterus and contracts adhesions to this organ and thus the ovary is prevented from descending below this level. The part of the gubernaculum between the ovary and the uterus becomes ultimately the proper ligament of the ovary, while the part between the uterus and the labium majus forms the round ligament of the uterus. A pouch of peritoneum, analogous to the sacus vaginalis in the male, accompanies it along the inguinal canal. It is called the canal of Nuck. In rare cases the gubernaculum may fail to contract adhesions to the uterus, and then the ovary descends through the inguinal canal into the labia majus. and under these circumstances its position resembles that of the testis. The metanephros and the permanent kidney. The rudiments of the permanent kidneys make their appearance about the end of the first or the beginning of the second month. Each kidney has a twofold origin, part arising from the metanephros and part as a diverticulum from the hind end of the wolfian duct, close to where the latter opens into the cloaca. The metanephros arises in the intermediate cell mass, caudal to the mesonephros, which it resembles in structure. The diverticulum, from the Wolffian duct, grows dorsalward and forward along the posterior abdominal wall, where its blind extremity expands and subsequently divides into several buds, which form the rudiments of the pelvis and calices of the kidney. By continued growth and subdivision, it gives rise to the collecting tubules of the kidney. The proximal portion of the diverticulum becomes the ureter. The secretory tubules are developed from the metanephros, which is moulded over the growing end of the diverticulum from the Wolfian duct. The tubules of the metanephros, unlike those of the pronephros and mesonephros, do not open into the Wolfian duct. One end expands to form a glomerulus, while the rest of the tubule rapidly elongates to form the convoluted and straight tubules, the loops of Henle, and the connecting tubules. These last join and establish communications with the collecting tubules derived from the ultimate ramifications of the diverticulum from the wolfian duct. The mesoderm around the tubules becomes condensed to form the connective tissue of the kidney. The ureter opens at first into the hind end of the wolfian duct, after the sixth week, it separates from the wolfian duct and opens independently into the part of the cloaca which ultimately becomes the bladder. The secretory tubules of the kidney become arranged into pyramidal masses or lobules, and the lobulated condition of the kidneys exists for some time after birth, while traces of it may be found even in the adult. The kidney of the ox and many other animals remains lobulated throughout life. The urinary bladder The bladder is formed partly from the endodermal cloaca and partly from the ends of the wolfian ducts. The allantois takes no share in its formation. After the separation of the rectum from the dorsal part of the cloaca, the ventral part becomes subdivided into three portions. 1. An anterior urethral portion, continues with the allantois, into this portion the wolfian ducts open, 2. An intermediate narrow channel, the pelvic portion, and 3. A posterior phallic portion, closed externally by the urogenital membrane. The second and third parts together constitute the urogenital sinus. The vesicourethral portion absorbs the ends of the wolfian ducts and the associated ends of the renal diverticula, and these give rise to the trigone of the bladder and part of the prosthetic urethra. The remainder of the vesicourethral portion forms the body of the bladder and part of the prostatic urethra. Its apex is prolonged to the umbilicus as a narrow canal, which later is obliterated and becomes the medial umbilical ligament, uricus. The prostate. The prostate originally consists of two separate portions, each of which arises as a series of diverticular buds from the epithelial lining of the urogenital sinus and vesico part of the cloaca between the third and fourth months. These buds become tubular and form the glandular substance of the two lobes which ultimately meet and fuse behind the urethra and also extend to its ventral aspect. The isthmus or middle lobe is formed as an extension of the lateral lobes between the common ejaculatory ducts and the bladder. Skene's ducts in the female urethra are regarded as the homologues of the prostatic glands. The bulbo-urethral glands of Cowper in the male and greater vestibular glands of Bartholin in the female also arise as diverticula from the epithelial lining of the urogenital sinus. The external organs of generation. As already stated, the cloacal membrane, composed of ectoderm and endoderm, originally reaches from the umbilicus to the tail. The mesoderm extends to the mid-ventral line for some distance behind the umbilicus and forms the lower part of the abdominal wall. It ends below, in a prominent swelling, the cloacal tubercle. Behind this tubercle, the urogenital part of the cloacal membrane separates the ingrowing sheets of mesoderm. The first rudiment of the penis, or clitoris, is a structure termed the phallus. It is derived from the phallic portion of the cloaca which has extended on to the end and sides of the under-surface of the cloacal tubercle. The terminal part of the phallus, representing the future glands, becomes solid. The remainder, which is hollow, is converted into a longitudinal groove by the adsorption of the urogenital membrane. In the female, a deep groove forms around the phallus and separates it from the rest of the cloacal tubercle, which is now termed the genital tubercle. The sides of the genital tubercle grow backward as the genital swellings, which ultimately form the labia majora. The tubercle itself becomes the mons pubis. The labia minora arise by the continued growth of the lips of the groove on the surface of the phallus. The remainder of the phallus forms the clitoris. In the male, the early changes are similar, but the pelvic portion of the cloaca undergoes much greater development pushing before it the phallic portion. The genital swellings extend around between the pelvic portion and the anus, and forms a scrotal area. During the changes associated with the descent of the testis, this area is drawn out to form the scrotal sex. The penis is developed from the phallus. As in the female, the urogenital membrane undergoes adsorption, forming a channel on the undersurface of the phallus. This channel extends only as far forward as the corona glandis. The corpora cavernosa of the penis or clitoris and of the urethra arise from the mesodermal tissue in the phallus. They are at first dense structures, but later vascular spaces appear in them, and they gradually become cavernous. The prepuce in both sexes is formed by the growth of a solid plate of ectoderm into the superficial part of the phallus. On coronal section, this plate presents the shape of a horseshoe. By the breaking down of its more centrally situated cells, the plate is split into two lamellae, and the cutaneous fold, the prepuce, is liberated and forms a hood over the glands. Adherent prepuce is not an adhesion really, but a hindered central dischremation. Very hard. The urethra. As already described, in both sexes, the phallic portion of the cloaca extends on to the under surface of the cloacal tubercle, as far forward as the apex. At the apex, the walls of the phallic portion come together and fuse, the lumen is obliterated, and the solid plate, the urethral plate, is formed. The remainder of the phallic portion is for a time tubular, and then, by the absorption of the urogenital membrane, it establishes a communication with the exterior. This opening is the primitive urogenital ostium and it extends forward to the corona glandis. In the female, this condition is largely retained. The portion of the groove on the clitoris broadens out while the body of the clitoris enlarges, and thus the adult urethral opening is situated behind the base of the clitoris. In the male, by the greater growth of the pelvic portion of the cloaca, a longer urethra is formed, and the primitive ostium is carried forward with the phallus, but it still ends at the corona glandis. Later it closes from behind forward. Meanwhile the urethral plate of the glands breaks down centrally to form a median groove, continuous with the primitive ostium. This groove also closes from behind forward, so that the external urethral opening Is shifted forward to the end of the glance. End of section 27. Recorded by Bianca in Utrecht, the Netherlands, on March 1st, 2010.